morning, Grace. How's everyone doing this morning? Did everyone see the pollen falling from the trees this morning? <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Sarah's going to kill me, but she thought it was pollen this morning when it was. Until I went outside and I'm like, that pollen melts when it hits you. But welcome to springtime in March in Tennessee, right? But welcome to Grace today. We're going to be. Uh, in chapters 29 and 30 in the first book of Samuel, we're almost finished. Pastor Dennis will put the finishing touches on 1 Samuel next week. Uh, but chapter 29 and 30 are really interesting chapters. We find David in a precarious situation, a place where he probably shouldn't be, but yet he finds himself there. And so I don't know about you guys, but have you ever been in a certain situation or a certain place and you're thinking, how in the world did I get here, or, or what am I doing in this place? I, I know for myself, uh, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I don't remember, I kept begging my dad. I'm like, I want to go bungee jumping. I want to go bungee jumping. He's like, yeah, right, whatever. And until one day I kept on, and we found ourselves, we were in Gatlinburg, and he drove up to Ober Gatlinburg. I'm like, what are we doing here? We, what are we doing? He's like, you're bungee jumping. And I was like, okay, all right. And so I'm going up the steps. And every step I'm thinking, what did I get myself into? What am I doing here? And each step got higher and higher. I'm thinking, how did I get here? What, what am I doing here? And then I thought, well, I'm not going back down these steps. So I strapped a bungee jump. It was fantastic. But the situation of just being there, you know, it makes me think back to uh, the first time I was ever on stage and, and, and preached a sermon. I remember standing up here. And Pastor Dennis was back there. He was the only one there. Very nerve-wracking. And I thought the entire time, what, what, what am I doing here? What led me to this situation? It's two totally different moments. One was led by my foolishness, and the other one was led by God. And I think that's the difference. But um, so that's where we're at today. David's experiencing something in his life where, you know, he's, he was in a situation he had no business being in. You know, he was running from Saul, and now he's at a place that he's, you know, living with the enemy, basically. He should not have been there. And we get like that sometimes, too. There's certain situations, there's places that, like, where, how did I get myself into this mess? What am, what am I doing here? How did, how did I get here? But see, when Jesus is Lord of our life, we're called to be where he calls us to be. And so too often, we... We try not to listen to his guidance. We try not to follow his guidance, and we go to where we want to go. But see, that's the beauty of God's grace and his mercy is that he goes wherever we, he goes before us, and he's there with us, even if we're not. Even in our mess, he is there with us. That's God's grace. And that's what we're going to see in these next two chapters is the, the, the roller coasters of David's life, and we're just through the beginning, Right? The roller coaster of David's life, the ups and downs. See, David and his men, they were, they were tired, they were frustrated, they, they were afraid, they were on the run. They, they felt like failures. They were tired. They were afraid of what was going to happen next. The great Vince Lombardi said that, that failure and fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I think that's so true that when we get tired, we start living scared. We start running scared. So if you can relate to this today, this is for you. Because I know I got a lot out of this. And so I'm, I'm going to read through both chapters. It's, it's, it's kind of long, but there's nothing that we can skip over today. So I finished on time, first service, so, if you're, so just bear with me. And hopefully we'll get finished on time today as well. 
But this is such beautiful things. But David was in a place that he should not have been. And I think we all can relate to that at some point in time that, that you know, what am I doing here? What, what are we doing here? How did I get myself in this situation? So the title of today's message is, what are we doing here? So what are we doing here? What, what's, our, what's our purpose? So starting in verse 1. It says, the entire Philistine army now mobilized at Aphek, and the Israelites camped at the spring of Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of hundreds and thousands, David and his men marched at the rear with King Achish. But the Philistine commanders demanded, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish told them, this is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. Yes, our enemy. He has been with me for years. And I've never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back to the town that you were giving him, they demanded. Send him back. He can't go with us into battle. What if he turns against us and becomes our adversary? What if he turns on us? What are you thinking? Is there any better way for him to reconcile himself with his master than by handing our heads over to him? Isn't this the same David about whom the women of Israel sing in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So they're like, what are, what are these Hebrews doing? What are these dudes doing with us? Can't you see that they're the enemy? It's just a matter of time before they turn on us. It's just a matter of time before they cut our heads off. Don't you, can't you see what they've done? Don't you remember David killing our own giant? Get rid of them. Kick them to the curb. We don't need them. And that, and that song, that song that keeps going around is like a number one hit. It was like Gangnam Style. They couldn't get rid of it. It just kept going on and on. Everyone heard this song, and nothing good ever came from this song. Right? That song like started the whole downfall of him and Saul. Right? Saul got jealous. Nothing good came of it, but they knew it. What are these Hebrews doing here? What are they doing here? And see, that's the same thing we should ask ourselves sometimes. What are we doing here? What am I doing here? What's my relationship with the Lord like? And see, when Jesus is Lord of our life, he calls us to be where he is calling us to be, not where we're calling ourselves to be. See, that's what's wrong with King Achish. He's accepting David. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with King Achish saying, hey, David, you're a cool dude. Stay with me. Well, Satan accepts us, right? Our enemy accepts us. That's how they get us in. So David is being accepted by the enemy. He, David was, and his men were with him for, King Achish said years. He was exaggerating a little bit. It was about a year and a half. But he was walking side by side with the enemy for a year and a half. His men were walking with them side by side for a year and a half, and they could not tell that those men were different. They couldn't tell that they were Christians. They couldn't tell that they were God's chosen people. And I think we should stand out in a different way. We should stand out. People should see us. People should hear us. And people should see us by our actions and know that we are different. Not that we're better, but that we're different. That we're God's children. And we're doing what he's calling us to do. And they should see that. They had no clue. And it's, it's just like... The Hebrews, they, they were kind of blurring the boundaries that had clearly been marked out by God's word. They shouldn't have been there. Instead of the, 
the Amalekites and, and still the Philistines saying, what are these dudes doing here? They should have been like, what in the world are we doing here? They're blurring the boundaries of their lives. I work with, in, we're short in construction sometimes. We, we went to a place and we're going, I'm not going to say who and I'm not going to say where, but we we're going to dig a footer and, and there was a house really close by and they had the boundary markers, they had stakes put on the lot so we know where our measurements from and where the lot line was, where their, their land ended and where the other one began. And so the homeowner came out there as we were measuring things off and he, he looked around and he picked up a grade stake and he went and stuck it in the ground. You don't gain land like that. This is not the 1800s, right? And so that messed everything up. We had to get called the engineers back out, the architects and everybody, and it delayed us like almost the entire day. But see, we do that. We, we blur the boundaries of our own lives. We think, ah, we can go here. Well, we can go there. We can, we can do this. God doesn't mind. We can move this boundary over when our boundaries are clearly marked for our lives right here. And the Hebrews were no different. Uh, it's okay that we're with the enemy. It's okay that we're with the enemy. God's word is our boundary. We cannot move it. See, David was moving boundaries. David was moving boundaries that he could not move, that God did not want him to move. He was somewhere that he should not have been. Verse 6. So Achish finally summoned David and said to him, I swear by the Lord, capital L, Lord, so he knows who his Lord is, you have been a trustworthy ally. I think you should go with me into battle, for I've never found a single flaw in you from the day you arrived until today. But the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them, but go back quietly. Go back quietly. I found no fault in you. I find nothing wrong with you. You've done nothing wrong, but yet all the people see something different. I know about you, but this reminds me of Jesus before Pilate. Pilate said, I don't find anything wrong with you. You've done nothing wrong in my eyes. I can't condemn you, but this is what the people want. David responds, what have I done to deserve this treatment? David demanded. What have, what have you ever found in your servant that I can't go and fight the enemies of my lord the king? Did he really, is he really that far, too far gone where he thinks that he can fight his own people? But Achish insisted, as far as I'm concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God. But the Philistine commanders are afraid to have you with them in battle. Now get up early in the morning and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David and his men headed back into the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. So the first point, Oh dear, where'd that go? That did nothing. I'm not a tech guy. So banging on a couple of keys did nothing. But the first point is that God shows mercy even when we walk away from him. Even when we walk away from him, he shows us mercy. In the life of David, David in this situation where he, he's in a place where he has no business being in, God is still in the background showing him grace and showing him mercy. He may just not see it yet. But there's a reason 
that the Philistine army was like, get rid of these guys. They, they are no good for us. They're going to they're gonna turn on us. They're gonna, we're going to go into battle, and then they're going to, hey, we're, we're switching sides. Psych. And we're, they're going to take us out. Get these dudes out of here. It's okay. We'll be all right without it. So get out your pens and paper. You guys can write this down. Uh, there we go. But God shows grace and mercy even when we don't see it. Even when we walk away from him. Even when we walk away from him, David has been as far away as he could. You might walk away as far as you can from God. You may be running from him. But guess what? His grace and his mercy is still there. And all you have to do is take one step back and you're going to run smack dab into him. That's his grace and his mercy. See, David was not where God was, wanted him to be. He was not where God called him to be. He was going in a direction that he should not have been going. I don't even know why I've got this. It's not working anyway. He was even so angry that he was angry that he couldn't fight his own people. How messed up is that? What, what, am I not good enough to fight against my own people? I'm ready to fight. But God showed David grace and mercy right where he was. See, he used the suspicion of the Philistine army. He used the, the Philistine men and the rejection. David's re he used David's rejection to show him grace and mercy. So the next time that you feel rejected, the next time you feel unwanted, unneeded, unloved, that may be God's grace and mercy working in your life. Christian walk is not, I don't know about you guys, but it, for me, it's not just a steady incline. Like, I just don't get, you know, closer and closer and closer. No, it's, it's kind of up and down, right? There's, there's peaks and there's valleys. David shows us this, right? You know, his is like this. We want it to be steady and gradual, but in all reality, there's some dips. And even in those dips, even in those valleys, even in the roller coaster of life, God is with us even at the bottom of the hill. His grace and his mercy never leaves us. And that's his love for us. See, God was using his surroundings and his circumstances to work in his life. See, David thought he was safe. David's been on the run from Saul. He thought he was safe. He thought he was safe with the enemy. I mean, that's how distorted his mind was at this time. That's how the fear drove him away. That's how his boundary was so far out there. David thought he was safe, but he was walking by the enemy. And God was there to rescue him anyway. God was walking with David even though David wasn't walking with him. Even though David walked away from him, him he still was there. See, so God always provides a way. See, so God's always there to give us grace and mercy in the times we're not looking for it. In the dips and the valleys of life, he's working in us. When we're weak, when we're tired, we're frustrated, we feel rejected, we feel unwanted, he's there working. And see, so God really can't use us. And God really can't strengthen us until we admit our weaknesses. And we don't like doing that, do we? We don't like admitting when we're wrong. We don't like admitting when we're weak. We hate to do that. David didn't like admitting it. Saul definitely didn't like to admit it. And we're the same way. We're the same way. And it's not on the TV, so I've got to flip through Scripture. But that's all right. We'll, we'll work with it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 9 and 10, it says, Each time he said, my grace is all you need. These words are in red, by the way. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. 
That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. How many times do you take pleasure in your weaknesses? And in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and troubles that I suffered for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. When we are weak, when we feel broken, he is strong. See, in every sin that we have in our life, God's always there making an exit door for us. All we got to do is walk through it. He gives us an escape plan. We don't have to stay there. We don't have to keep staying in the same places where we think, how did we get here? What are we doing here? All we have to do is turn around. All we have to do is turn around. We are weak, right? But his grace and his mercy makes us strong. Chapter 30, verse 1 through 6. After he says, get out of here, David. Go out quietly so they don't see you. It says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home from their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites, those people again, had made a raid into Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women, the children, and everyone else without killing anyone. They stole everything. They destroyed the town. They destroyed homes. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Anoam and Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in grave danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord. So we have these guys, they followed him everywhere. They were following him everywhere, every step. You know, we're with you, David. We're loyal until they get back home and there's nothing left. And then they start to turn on him. David had lost everything. Everything and everyone at this point. He lost Samuel. He lost Jesse. He lost Saul. He lost Jonathan. He lost his wives. He lost his house, his whole town. And now his own men are turning on him. You've made been through some of this stuff where you feel like you've lost everything and that your own friends and your own family are turning on you. They're ready to stone him. They were following him into the battle. They were going to fight their homeland. They were going to fight their own families. And now they're turning on him. And see, some of this is a trial for David. Some of this is a trial for God to see how he's going to respond. But some of this is a consequence. See, we don't like consequences. But you guys remember what Saul was supposed to do with the Malachites? He was supposed to wipe them all the way out. He was supposed to kill them all, but he didn't. And here they come back, and they wiped out this entire town that David was living in. Took their women, took their children, took the men that were left behind, the elderly. Took them all. Took them all. See, our sins don't just affect us. They affect everyone around us. It's not just an eye problem. It, it, it hurts everyone. Our sin has consequences, and David is living this. They're living the consequences of one sin, and then another, and then another, and it's trickling down. It's not just them. It's, now it's on their families. Now their families are suffering because of it. But I think what God's trying to do here is God, in his grace and his mercy, he's leading these men. He's leading David to fight a battle that really matters. That he's going to fight a battle that truly matters. He said, you're not ready yet. 
See, God wants David back. He's saying, I want you back. You may be walking away from God today. You may be so far, you don't even know why you're here. But he's telling you, I want you back. Come back to me. So why is God showing David such mercy in this situation? Why is he showing David? We don't, you don't think David deserves mercy, do we? But it's because David in the past has showed mercy. How many times did Saul try to kill David and he stayed right there playing his harp, dodging arrows, dodging spears and playing that harp? That's mercy. That's grace. God recognized that. So God gives grace and mercy to those who are merciful. You want grace and mercy in your life? Share grace and mercy. Be grace to someone. Be merciful to people around us. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 7 that blessed are those that are merciful, for there will be shown mercy. Blessed are those that show mercy, that they give mercy. The people that are merciful, the people that will help others up, they will be shown mercy. And see, God saw that in David's life. David's hurt, David's sin, David's hard circumstance, God did not forget him. God used the rejection of the people, the loss of everything to show him mercy. See, he will use your sins, he will use your hurts, he will use your hang-ups, he will use your situations for your good, to get you back. See, even righteous people, even Christians suffer from time to time. He tells us that we're going to suffer, but we can, he's never going to give us any more than what we can bear. See, God will step in as a, as a loving father, right? We have a loving, heavenly father that will step in and correct us when we need it. See, no matter what challenges slap us right in the face, head on, God still loves us. No matter what happens in your life, we've got to remember that there's a greater author in the background writing our story as we speak every day. See, this is God's discipline to David and us. And we don't like that word discipline very much. Some of you are kind of like wiggling your seats right now. I was thinking about discipline, right? Not kids nowadays. They don't really care about discipline. Sorry, guys, you don't. But our Heavenly Father is patient is merciful in our obedience. See, when we don't respond to his corrections, when we don't respond to his corrections, see, he knows just what to move around in our lives. He knows what to move around. He knows what changes need to be making. He will move those around. And see, sometimes those things are painful. Sometimes it hurts to have your life turned upside down. Sometimes it hurts it's like godly paddlings, right? I ran into one of my former teachers, my first grade teacher, actually, in a restaurant a couple of weeks ago. And I went up and I hugged her. I was like, hey, Miss Shanks. Yeah, I'm using her name. She won't care. But she's like, she, she's like, I was like, I'm, it's Sam. And she's like, oh, Sam Ferris. And I was like, yeah. It's like, good to see you. It's, it's not been that long ago. But yeah, it has. And she's like, the first thing she said was like, did I ever paddle you? I was like, yes, ma'am, you did, but I deserved it. But she remembered it. But those godly patterns from time to time are needed. Those godly nudges. And sometimes they're godly slaps that we need to get us moving in the right direction. 
right? This one is never meant to harm us, to hurt us, or demean us, or to make us feel small. It's there because he loves us. David's going through this. David's men's going through this. They're getting disciplined. And it's his love for us to sanctify us, to change us for the good, not to make us sad and see us earthly fathers, us earthly mothers. We, we get this wrong sometimes. We're not perfect. We mess up. We discipline sometimes when we shouldn't, and we don't discipline the times we should. We're not perfect, but our Heavenly Father is always perfect in his discipline in us. So when you feel like a, a godly kick in the rear is happening, it's for a reason. It's for a reason. In Psalm 119, David says it like this. And I think it's, it's funny that, that he writes about this. 67 through 68. He says, I used to wander off until you disciplined me. We've all been here before. Teenagers. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You are good and only do good. Teach me your decrees. Teach me your decrees. You, you punish me. You discipline me for my good. When I walk away from you, everything falls apart. But when I turn back to you, everything comes back together again. It's his love for us. In Hebrews 12. Paul tells us like this. I'm sorry, guys, I don't have these pages marked. 10 and 11. For our earthly fathers discipline us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Or in my translation, it would be for our earthly fathers and our mothers and our great-grandmothers and our teachers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. No discipline is enjoyable as you're going through it. It's painful, but afterward, there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Godly discipline is for our own good. Discipline in our lives is for our own good. Sometimes we mess it up, but God never does. God never does. See, this discipline worked in David's life. David turned to the only person that he could turn to. He turned to God. He finally realized, what am I doing here? I need to turn back to my father. I need to go back to God. And he turned to him. And I, I had to think that he hit his knees like Hannah and he prayed like Hannah. His whole men were weeping till they could weep no more. And I'm sure he was right there with them. So he found strength in the Lord his God, verse 7. Then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. And you're like, I don't know what an ephod is, but I want one. So Abathar brought it. And then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? See, he already knew the answer because he's asking if he's going to catch them. And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook Besor. But two of the hundred of the men were too exhausted they were too tired to cross the brook, so David continued the pursuit with 400 of his men. So he's like, bring the priest, bring the ephod. Remember, that was the priestly garment that he would put on. This is the only thing of the tabernacle that they had. 
that David had in his possession. The ephod was a pouch and it had stones in it. It was kind of like, you know, Teresa talked about last week with Ouija boards and things like that. This was godly. This was like his god, you know, godly eight ball, right? But it was two stones. And the priest could pray to God. And that's how God would answer them. So they brought out the ephod. And God answered them right away. God answered David on the first phone call. You know, it's funny because I was worshiping down here after first service and my phone started ringing, and I was like, who in the world? And I looked down, and it was Lucas calling me. I didn't answer it. I, talk, I told him back there why, and he laughed about it. But God answered him on the first call. That's amazing. David was walking where he should not have been. David was walking away from him the entire time. He was going through all this, and he did not turn to God until this time, and he answered him on the first call. He will answer you on the first call. He will answer you if you call out to him today. It's a promise. It's a promise. So I think it's, it's, a, it's awesome that these 600 men that ended up being 400 went from about to stone him to like, okay, we're on your side again, David. We're ready to follow you again, David. Why? Because they saw his obedience to God. Because David's heart was changed, their hearts were changed. When people see us being obedient to God, it affects others around us. Students, when people see you following God, you might be rejected by some, but you're going to be loved by many. When we go to our jobs, when we go to school, wherever we're at, when people see us being obedient to God, that's going to affect them. See, in his disobedience, he was ready to start a civil war. He was ready to fight his own people. He was mad. I've been sitting here all day and I ain't not fought anybody. I don't, I don't care if it's my own hometown. And God say, no, that's not the battle. This is the battle you should be in. Now go and fight, David. Now go. Scratch your itch. Go and fight. This is what matters. Your families have been taken. See, our personal decisions affect more than just us. It can affect our family. It can affect our schools, our churches, everywhere. And it can affect it for the good or the bad. When David's heart was changed, the changes of the hearts of his men were there. It's like, I'm willing to go. They had faith in God and his word. They were obedient even when they were faced with challenging circumstances. They were outmanned. They were outnumbered. They didn't even know where they were going. These were tra traveling raiders. They, they had no clue. We're like, let's go. We've, we've just been traveling for three days. We're tired, but here we go. We're following you, David. See, that's amazing because he was obedient so when we receive grace and mercy, we have to give grace and mercy. And we're going to see that in the rest of this chapter. But because we have God's grace and we have his love and his mercy, we have to give that out to others. 11 through 20. Along the way, they found the Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. Hmm. Just so happens they're traveling along and running to a single person, right? Divine right here. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from, David asked him. I think it's beautiful right here that they were on a mission. They had, they had direction from God. They were, they were ready to go fight. They were marching. They were traveling. You know, they're, they're going to get their women and children back. They're going to go get revenge. They were promised through victory. 
And they were going to go get it, but they had time to stop for one person. See, that's the way we should show grace and mercy. It should be a one-way transaction that we should give it without expecting anything in return. And so often we get that wrong, that we want something in return. And David stopped. His entire group stopped and helped one person without expecting anything in return. Who do you belong to? David asked him. I am the Egyptian. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. He replied, my master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Corinthians in the Negev, the territory of Judah, and in the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. And I thought right here when I read that for the first time, I thought, wow. What, how are they going to react to that? This person was there. He might not have partaken in the fight, but he was there with the people when they took the women and children and cages and burnt their towns. But listen how David responds. Verse 15. Will you lead me to this band of raiders? David asked. The young man replied, If you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. I will guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread across the fields, eating and drinking, dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until evening, a pretty long battle. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. David the hero should be a movie. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds and men and drove ahead of them their other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. See, selfless giving is merciful. He still had time to help one person. He didn't expect anything in return. That's the way we should give, expecting nothing. And see, we must treat everyone that we meet with grace and mercy because we never know how God's going to use them in our life. See, God puts people in our life, that one person, God may put there to help you or to haunt you, depending on what you do. And I've experienced both. And I tell you, I do not like being haunted. And the people that I know that I should have helped, people that I know that I should have talked to, and I didn't, all those times they come back and they haunt me because they never leave your mind. God puts people in our place. God puts people in our path for a reason. How do we respond? See, David was filled with compassion. See, he, had just, he just got a fresh dose of God's love and his grace and his mercy. And he wanted to pass that out. He wanted to pass that on. So we can't waste our opportunities. We can't waste our resources. And we do that so much. See, the more we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the more we should give back. The more we're filled with his spirit and his grace and his mercy, the less selfish we should become. And see, this is God's sweet providence for David. 
David showed grace and mercy. He didn't expect anything back but this one man that they helped. This one Egyptian slave said, here's the map. Here's the compass. Go get them. That's God working through one person. What if they just passed this guy up? What if he just passed them up? They could still be looking for him for all we know. But he shared. He shared. And he got everything back and then some. He got everything back that they lost and then more. And that's what God tells us. You're going to be blessed with more than you can imagine. You're going to get more than you deserve. See, we don't deserve grace and mercy, but he gives it to us anyway because he loves us. Let's finish up verse 21. Then David returned to the brook Besor and met up with 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. His heart was changed. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, even though their hearts were being changed, even though they were following David, there were still some evil people around. There were still some people around that did not think and see like David did, that did not think and see like God saw. He's like, they can't have any of this. They didn't go with us. So they can't have any of the plunder that we recovered. Give them their wives and their children and tell them to go away. Tell them to be gone. Because we can't be that selfish. But David said, no, my brothers. Don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. See, this, he, this plunder is not mine. It's not ours. It all belongs to God. Everything that we have, everything that we enjoy, everything that we gain, it's not ours. It's his. We share and share alike, those who go in battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this decree in regulation of Israel and still follow today that everyone gets to share, even the people that stay behind, even the people behind the scenes working. They're all important, all important in the eyes of God. When he arrived at Ziklag, David sent out the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends. Here is a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. You get something, you get something, you get something. It's because of God. So every town that he went to, every time, town that David and his men passed through and they received help, even the towns that he didn't receive help from, he gave them. He gave. He showed them grace and mercy. He was finally being the king that God called him to be because he was showing grace and he was showing mercy. And his men were like, what did they do? They didn't fight. What did they do to deserve it? They didn't do anything. It's like this all belongs to God. It's like 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Where Jesus tells us that all these roles are important. Teachers, preachers, child care workers, it doesn't matter. Coffee ministry, worship team. It all is important. Even the people that stay behind and work in the background, they are just as important as everyone else. That all of his servants are important in God's eyes. There's no greater or lesser. It's like a race team. You know, they, they build a race car, and a driver gets out there and he wins a race. People, all they do is they celebrate the driver, right? But what if he doesn't have a good pit crew? What if he doesn't have good engineers that built the car? It's not going to win. 
So God's kingdom does not work without everybody working together in the background and everywhere else. Nothing is not important. Every job is important. Every job is worthy. Every service is worthy to God. David knows this. He's like, it all belongs to God. Everyone should share in this. The Lord gave it to all of us. We get it all. Closing point, God's grace and mercy. He rescues and he restores. You may be here today and you need rescuing. You may need restoration today. Turn to him and he will give you that. See, the Amalekites, they took the women and the children. They put the children in cages. And I could just imagine those little hands reaching out for their mothers. Saying, Mommy, save me. Daddy, where are you at? Come find, come get me, come save me. And that's what our Heavenly Father does for us. So if you're sitting here today, all you got to do is call out to Him. Save me. Come. Because our Heavenly Father, Jesus, came from heaven and died on the cross. He walked in the enemy camp to show us grace and mercy when we didn't deserve it. And all is He saying that you can share with me, I'm going to give you more than what you can imagine. I don't know about you, but I just want to be, I can just sit on a bench up there. And, and, be, and live on the streets of gold. I'm fine with that. But no, he says, I'm going to give you more treasures. More than you can imagine. And that's what he promises us. So if you feel like you're caged today, call out to him. He will rescue you. He will restore you. And he will share in his treasures with you. See, the Amalekites, they thought they were safe. They thought they were secure. They were singing and dancing because they didn't think there was anything for them to be afraid of. That they were safe. It was a false sense of security. And that's just like the world today. I've got time. No one's going to attack us right now. We're just going to live it up. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's a false sense of security. Today is the day. That's just like the world today. We, can, we got time. We can keep going on. There's no threat. But the threat is real. It's around us all the time. Every day, turn to the rescuer. Turn to the one that's going to redeem you and rescue you because he shows us grace and mercy because he loves us to die for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your grace and mercy that you show us grace. You show us mercy even though we don't deserve it. That when we deserve death and destruction, we don't deserve anything, but you lavish us. You give us more than what we could ever imagine because you love us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that I feel like they're living in a cage today, that they feel like they're too far gone, that they've stretched their boundaries so far away that they don't think they're anywhere close to be near you. Lord, let them see all they have to do is take one step and you are there your grace and your mercy is enough for any of us. Father, we love you. We thank you for being here today. We thank you for speaking to our hearts. God, we just lift you up and we give you the praise and the glory for it all. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for David and the life, the ups and downs in his life that we can apply to our own. That you're with us in the highs and the lows even when we're free falling on a bungee cord, the best ride is on the ride up back to you. 
Father, we love you.